This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing tonight? I am well. How are you, Chad? Doing okay. Enjoying summer break one day at a time. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Is it too hot yet in Texas? I know in June, things start to get a little nuts. Yeah, it's up there. I think I looked at my watch earlier today. It was 99. Right now, it is uh, 9.20 p.m., and it's still 89. So mm, don't pre- pretty, pretty warm. <laughs> Well, we have a couple of new reviews we want to thank. Uh, new reviews from Chelsea GW and Nikki Nice on Apple Podcasts. And to Nathan... Oh, sorry. Helmeniac? Sorry. <laughs> Nathan Helmeniac on Facebook. So thanks to you three for your kind words. Yeah, we always appreciate it. And we'll always be shouting out new reviews. So if you haven't gotten around to it yet and want to hear your name on the show, that's a fast track to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how about we go ahead and go into our first episode? It is Moroccan Christmas, episode 11 of season five. It aired on December 11th of 2008. It is a return of director Paul Feig and written by Justin Spitzer. Phyllis throws her first Christmas party as the new head of the, of the party planning committee. Its theme, Nights in Morocco, and it's not your grandmother's Christmas party. <laughs> Things get out of control. Meredith drinks too much and ends up lighting her hair on fire. The office decides to hold an intervention for her right then and there. How appropriate. After Michael tries to drop Meredith off at rehab against her will, tensions rise in the office between Phyllis and Angela, and Phyllis tells almost the entire office about Angela and Dwight's secret. Yeah, that's a pretty good start. And I'll, I think we want to save the bulk of our Phyllis-Angela discussion for later. But uh, to start off, she really has gone all out on this party. Um, there's the weird theme which isn't strictly Christmas. I don't know where Moroccan Christmas comes from, but okay. <laughs> Nights I think they're in famous for their Christmases. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not even vaguely Christmas themed. It's just a Christmas party with an exterior theme. Right. Okay. But the decorations are extravagant, apparently authentic as she claims. As you said, she says, it's not your grandmother's Christmas party unless she's from Morocco, in which case it's very accurate. <laughs> and I just was thinking, where did she get the budget for this? Because we saw... Angela trying to scrape together like 20 bucks to follow uh, to to put together a party in the past. Where did Phyllis get this? And my first thought was, let's dip into that old Bob Vance Vance refrigeration cash fund. Yeah, it's alluded a few times that Bob Vance is kind of rolling in it. Um, And they even say in the commentary uh, that possibly she uh, dived into his deep pockets there Um, because she has exotic food, a bunch of blankets and. uh, rugs and pillows and just all this extraneous stuff that definitely would not be hanging around the office. So yeah, it's either all from her house, which would be very unusual since it's all Moroccan themed, or uh, I think it was probably Bob Vance. Yeah, probably so. Since we saw him uh, offer to help out with the goodbye Toby party anyway, mm-hmm. he's he's clearly happy to help. Let's get into Meredith, I suppose. Meredith is the one who uh, gets super drunk in this episode. No thanks in part to Michael, who gives her a one of everything, which is equal parts of scotch, absinthe, rum, gin, vermouth, triple sec, and then two packs of Splenda. And all of that is alcohol. Like, there's no nothing to dilute anything. There's no mixer. It's yeah. just straight alcohol she's drinking. And after she finishes the first one in a single gulp, she asks for another one, 
and presumably she maybe even has more. And we see her dancing. We see her belly dancing. No, thank you. And then eventually catching her hair on fire, catching her hair on fire on some candles. And that's when everything else in this episode sort of locks into place as Michael feels the need to take control and to intervene in some way. Yeah, the only alcoholic drinks I can think of that are made entirely of alcohol are all sipping drinks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very slow. And we see Meredith just toss this back, and um, she gets pretty crazy pretty quickly. And everyone else seems to be pretty mellow. I mean, most people are having some alcohol here and there, but Meredith is really uh, letting loose and is dancing alone in the conference room. Um, and there are candles lit in the conference room, and I guess she somehow swooshes her hair in one and is totally oblivious to the fact that she's let that she's lit her hair on fire. My, you can tell that Michael is extremely concerned when he sees Meredith's hair catch fire. I, I think back to, um, Oh, I guess it's not back to that's an upcoming episode. <laughs> so I'm not going to uh, stress relief. We're, we're talking about stress relief yeah. in the next couple of episodes, but Michael realizes or comes to the realization people shouldn't come to work fearing for their lives and i think this is what sort of starts that into pace without spoiling anything that happens in stress relief and uh so he takes it very seriously but he doesn't understand interventions not wholly at least he he knows what they're for but he doesn't know how to run one successfully he calls it a surprise party for people with addictions <laughs> and you get in their face and you scream at them and you make them feel really really badly about themselves and then they stop and I just don't think it's that easy, as we see. But Michael Michael just has an incomplete understanding of what the purpose and uh, the act of an intervention should be. And the same kind of goes for when he tries to drop Meredith off at rehab. He doesn't understand that it's a sort of volunteer basis on the, um, on the addict's part. And Meredith did not volunteer. <laughs> so he tries to kind of force her into it. And he says... Then this is jumping ahead a bit, but he says, like, you've got to make him hit rock bottom. So I guess I'm going to do that with Meredith. <laughs> no, it's not no. how this works. You don't understand how how treatment should go. He has to lie to Meredith in the first place to get her to get in the car with him, you know. Uh, and so th I, I haven't been a part of an intervention. I haven't known somebody in need of an intervention, at least not close to me. And so I, I don't think that. I think that honesty should be at the forefront of all of this and being honest with what you're thinking of each other and what you're feeling about each other and expectations. Honesty or the lying that Michael goes through should not be a part of this process at all. Uh, and the, again, the comment in the, the commentary, Kate Flannery, who plays Meredith, is in there. She says, you know, I think at the end of this episode, she definitely hates Michael <laughs> if she didn't hate him before. <laughs> Uh, because you just can't check somebody into rehab against their will. And now he's going to try purposely to drive her into rock bottom. Not a good idea. And so not the way to do it. And also not the time no. or maybe even the place to do it. And um, I get, you know, Michael may not understand that because he is after all Michael. But you know who does know that it's Toby. And Toby does nothing to really stop it. I mean, he kind of volunteers like hey maybe this isn't the right time michael says yes it is and that's the last we hear from toby <laughs> um i get that he's not wanting to step in and face michael and deal with michael's craziness but that is his 
job. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, he's a little too meek for HR with Michael, I guess. Yeah, and we've had that discussion before. My, Toby just doesn't know how to do his job when Michael is present because Michael's always going to fight him on it, and he just doesn't consider it worth it. Uh, yeah. So that sucks, but that's that's Toby for you. Now, Meredith at the intervention claims that she's not an alcoholic, and I was curious your thoughts on this because. I mean, from our perspective and from everybody in the office's perspective, she very clearly has a problem with alcohol. In some ways, I think it is a personal thing where maybe you know your limits and you know your own mind and your behavior. But we've seen her day drinking at the office, like pouring alcohol into her gas station cup or whatever. I mean, it's hard to argue against it. it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, not. This is a podcast about a comedy, so at the risk of getting too uh, too depressing, <laughs> it sounds like you know an alcoholic is somebody that um, depends on alcohol to function or to have a productive day or even just a good time. You need alcohol to do that, and it sounds like Meredith kind of needs alcohol to get through the day. So yeah, I mean, it. I would, I would have to say yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just curious because I. I- Again, I think it's a personal thing and maybe maybe she does have it all under control and she just went too far this time or that fire was in a bad place and she couldn't help it. <laughs> I, but still, uh, yeah. I was just curious your thoughts. Then, and like there's a difference between being, you know, having the occasional crazy night or whatever and being an alcoholic. But as you said, we see her drinking during the day several times. Yeah. So, yeah. We've got... Dwight, who has done research to determine what the hottest Christmas toy will be and has bought all of them in the area so that parents who wait to the last minute will be desperate and will pay whatever price he asks for. So $200 for an action figure called Princess Unicorn. And he essentially sort of becomes these procrastinating parents uh, hero because look what I have. I just so happen to have this doll that you're looking for. Only $200. It's a steal for the last one in the area, or one of the last ones in the area. It's such a jerkbag thing to do, (laughs) but it's more or less sort of what I expect from Dwight at this point. I I love his whole fa-la-la-la-la-la-la (laughs) ka-ching. He's like sitting back on a throne of these dolls. It's great. Uh, Although I do have to ask, Michael comes out of his office, sees that Dwight has these dolls and says, oh, it's Princess Unicorn. I thought that those were all sold out. How does he know, one, that they're all sold out, and two, why does he know about this present at all? And three, he knows the theme song. Okay, the theme song I can maybe get on board with. Maybe there's a commercial. Okay. But he seems awfully excited about this doll, like he wants one, and he knows that they're sold out, as if he has tried to get one. (laughs) Yeah, I I had the same question in my notes as well, Um, and I can't think of any child in his life that he would be (laughs) buying this gift for. So I think maybe he's just like a brony, and like bronies like My Little Pony. Michael likes Princess Unicorn for some reason. Hey, no judgment. (laughs) (laughs) And that does lead into the whole Phyllis and Angela situation first. Yeah. So we see Phyllis throughout this episode really, really enjoying her power over Angela. Um, She makes Angela wear a hairnet. She makes Angela run, you know, little errands and, hey, people are low on this. Go get them that. Um, Even during the uh intervention she says how about you go get a plate of hummus for everyone fan the pita chips so that they're easy to grab fan some napkins um and angela finally snaps and she says you know what the only reason 
that you're doing this is because you have this one little secret on me and I know you're not going to tell anyone. So I want my spot back, you know, and Phyllis at first kind of submits and she says, yeah, okay. And then Angela kind of storms off and Phyllis, something comes over her and she has the guts to say it. And she says, Angela has been sleeping with Dwight. And the whole office kind of shuts down. Um, I believe pretty much everyone is in there except for Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everyone hears and they have a little discussion on it. Dwight's there and he says, why are you so shocked? Um, but basically, yeah, that's where everyone learns about the secret. Um, but Andy does not know. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not sure if ha- have Meredith and Michael left at that point. I think they had. I don't remember Michael being there, but uh, without really giving anything away, I mean, we're discussing the next episode immediately after this, yeah. but they all know. Yeah, they the all know. Um, I, I guess Except they have some, some sort of way that Michael finds out because I, I just checked off his quotes and that scene does happen after Michael and Meredith have, Meredith have left. But I'm sure with mm. all the whisperings, whenever Andy leaves a room, they hear it. So not that big yeah. a deal. Uh, I was just curious. <laughs> yeah. I have difficulty dealing with both Phyllis and Angela in this episode because, you know, in a vacuum, if this episode was standalone, Phyllis treats Angela, Angela like absolute crap. Like, mm-hmm. I, I wrote B word, uh, actually B word. I don't, I don't cuss <laughs> <laughs> in, in my notes uh, for how she treats Angela this episode. And in the vacuum of this episode, no, it's not justified. I, I but if you look at, the the show as a whole in the scope of everything, which is what I love about the show is that each episode isn't a vacuum. Uh, I get it. I understand why she's treating Angela this way because we've seen Angela treat Phyllis exactly this way multiple times throughout the course of the show. But I don't believe in the eye for an eye approach and certainly blackmailing is wrong. Even if she says she's not blackmailing, that's what she's doing yeah. is blackmailing. Right. So I feel badly for Angela in the context of this episode a lot, but in some ways, yeah, she does kind of deserve it. Uh, it's a taste of her own medicine in some ways. Phyllis, I feel like she's such a mild-mannered person most of the time that she doesn't often get the opportunity to assert her dominance over anyone. And here she has the opportunity and she loves it. And she's just sort of fallen into that trap of being you know, being the person that she doesn't like. Although Phyllis, we get to see her be a little spunky sometimes. And this is one mm-hmm. of those episodes. Um, spunky is a bit nice. <laughs> she's not being nice in this episode, but um, I get why she's doing it. Yeah. And again, in the context of the episode, she deserves to have Angela blow up at her towards the end like she does. But again, in the scope of things, I'm proud that Phyllis stands up for herself and does reveal the secret. I mean, that was the threat. So she follows through with it. Angela, if you're going to treat me like trash, I'm going to hold the secret over you. And now the secret's out there. Everybody knows. And so in that moment when she could have just let the the cycle repeat itself, where Angela starts walking all over again, all over her again, she decides, no, enough's enough. Angela, here's your secret. Sucks to suck. <laughs> right. And she does feel bad for Andy, too. Yeah. Well, and it's crazy to think that if Phyllis hadn't said anything, hypothetically, this may never have come to a head. Angela may have just married Andy and, you know, she could have either continued to have an affair with Dwight after her wedding or 
they would have stopped or whatever, but this hypothetically would never have gotten out. When it does get out, Dwight says, don't act so surprised, which sickens me and angers me with how proud he is of his affair with Angela. But, and I keep, I I feel like I'm playing devil's advocate with myself in this episode, (laughs) but he's had a relationship of some kind with Angela since season two. And it was always a secret, always a secret. So maybe he's just proud to be with her, even if it is in a cheating capacity now, and is happy for it to finally be out in the open. Again, not defending his cheating, but I understand a bit of his pride in being with Angela, because this is something that they've they've been together for two, three years now. Hasn't he, am I wrong, that in the past he kind of pushed for her to be public? Mm-hmm. So he's clearly... I think you're right that he is glad to have the information out. He's not ashamed to be with her, even if she is engaged. Mm-hmm. And that, that that does go back to traveling salesman. I think he was sort of saying, you know, yeah. I, I'm not afraid for people to know our secret. But then Angela says, well, then everybody will know our secret. And so instead right. of revealing it, Dwight goes and works at Staples. So <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, and poor Andy. Poor, poor Andy. I just feel so badly for him in these two episodes. He's so depressingly clueless about the whole affair. He's playing with the sitar the whole party, much to everyone else's dismay. And then he does the whole Deck the Halls rendition right after the news has been broken. Everybody's just staring at him. And we get another rid-it-dit-to-do in there, by the way. Um, But another level into him playing Deck the Halls, it shows how sweet he is. Because, you know, earlier in the episode, when we first see him with the sitar, he's playing uh, the nudity france song and angela scolds him then jim later asks him to stop playing because they're having a christmas party but instead of stopping playing he goes and he actually learns a christmas song to please angela he says i will always be here to give you your dose of christmas cheer so he was going out of his way to adjust what he was doing to make her happy only for this to come right after the beans have been spilled anything else character wise you really want to mention here not really. I realized that I had a huge gap in the Jim and Pam side of things. So I just wanted to point out that I love their couple little scenes together that are really cute where uh, Jim rubbing the lamp saying, mm-hmm. what are your, what's your wish? And Pam says, I wish you'd stop running that, rubbing that lamp in that creepy way. Jim says, stupid. Everybody knows to ask her a hundred more wishes. Dumb. And she just laughs at him. <laughs> and then the... At the very end, after the news has been revealed, the whole I knew it scene is very cute as well. Yeah. So, Which, again, kind of points back to what you were saying, that he's had this relationship with Angela since season two, and even Pam didn't know all of it. She, she knew that something was going on, but she didn't know the specifics. So, mm-hmm. I mean, she's known the most out of anybody, but that shows how secretive this all was. Mm-hmm. Pam didn't know about the affair stuff, I think. She just knew that's that Dwight right. and Angela had some sort of thing going on at some point. So right. funny moments. What made you laugh? <laughs> uh, Got to always start with the cold open. Um, great cold open with the wrapping paper desk. That isn't a desk. <laughs> Dwight comes in and lo and behold, Jim has played another prank on him. It looks like one thing and it's something else. He has um, wrapping papered he has wrapped dwight's desk and chair and everything on his desk um dwight says oh haha this will take me about five minutes to undo great joke jim and uh he throws his briefcase 
down on his desk at the same time as he's sitting in his chair and <laughs> surprise, neither one is actually there. He has wrapped what looks like nothing. Um, mm-hmm. I think they said it was chicken wire in the commentary. Chicken wire. Yeah. And so he just falls to the ground and his desk like disappears. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how Dwight is probably right in guessing that it took Jim three hours to do this, even though Jim denies it. Because at that time, the joke is that Jim simply wrapped all of Dwight's stuff. But that's not the case. Um, Jim says, I'm a black, black belt in gift wrapping. Dwight says, they don't give out black belts for stupid things. And Jim just sort of <laughs> looks at the camera, which I think is sort of insinuating that your, your child's martial arts thing that you pursue. Yeah, that's a pretty stupid thing to try and get a black belt in <laughs> at your age. <laughs> yeah. Michael has a few drinks uh, that he creates in this one. There's the one of everything, which we already mentioned. Um, and then I love, he comes up with the idea of the orange juice and vodka. It gives it to Jim. He says, I call it the orange vajuska. Jim says, wow, that is delicious. Can't believe no one's thought of it. Which is of course a (laughs) screwdriver. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. Gotta love the intervention where Michael, um, tries to prove to Meredith that she's an alcoholic by using a guide sheet found online at the Latter-day Saints or Mormon website. Um, <laughs> have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? <laughs> um, I don't think she has, but if she, I don't think she needed to be drunk to question the Mormon teachings since she's not a Mormon. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, that was pretty great. And Oscar says, where did you find this? And Michael says, Online, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, when they're trying to schedule the the intervention, which I think there's a certain level of comedy in these guys getting together to plan this intervention in the future. But I think there's also like this real heaviness to it because I think that's a real thing that people have to do sometimes. Um, but when they suggest, I think January 5th, which is the day they come back, Michael says, can't. I've got a monthly dental appointment. Soft teeth. Which is a callback to dinner party when he's dipping his steak in his wine and Jan mm-hmm. calls that disgusting. But also, I sort of feel that life because I, I wear Invisalign currently. And so I go to the uh. dentist pretty much every month to get new trays. And so I was like, it happens, yeah. Michael. <laughs> yeah. I loved Kevin's one joke. He always uses one joke. He has one that works and it's his fire guy joke. And uh, here he got to try it out on Meredith calling her fire girl. Um, but as we've discussed, yes, this is his one joke that he tries at every opportunity. It's applicable. But here it was a little too soon. No one left. <laughs> right. Yeah. He, he says it himself too. Too soon. Jim says, too yeah. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dwight says he doesn't care for Meredith, but he doesn't believe in the interviction, intervention kind of thing. So he told Michael that he likes uh, Meredith. He says, in the Shroot family, we believe in a five-fingered intervention. And he starts with a fist and one thing at a time, awareness, education, control, <laughs> acceptance, and punching. And so he ends with an open hand instead of with the fist. Uh, it, it's just sort of backwards from the way you would expect it. You would think he'd close one finger in, leading, ending with the fist, uh, which is, I think, a Charlie Brown sort of thing, but still pretty funny. And of course, the five-figure intervention is classically a punch, Yeah, right? So yeah. <laughs> he could have just said that. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with Andy's monologue about college. Oh. <laughs> um, I love it so much, and I hate it so much because I think we all knew an Andy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we did go to Texas Tech. Um, we did go to Texas Tech, record tech. So. <laughs> 
I love my school, but yeah. Um, <laughs> he says, when I was in college, I used to get wicked hammered. My name was Puke. Sorry, my nickname was Puke. I would chug a fifth of Soko, sneak into a frat party, polish off a few people's empties, some brewskis, some jello shots, do some body shots off myself, pass out, wake up the next morning, puke, rally, more Soko, head to class. Probably would have gotten expelled if I hadn't let it affect my grades, but I aced all my courses. They called me ace. It was totally awesome. Got straight Bs. They called me Buzz. <laughs> so we've got Puke, Ace, Buzz. Then we also know mm-hmm. he's called Boner Champ. How many so-called nicknames yeah. does this guy have? <laughs> I feel like he was in this group of friends and he was the most hated one of this group of friends. You well, know? That's funny because he says sneak into a frat party. So either right. he wasn't in yeah. a frat or he wasn't invited to the parties. So Right. Uh, yeah. Maybe a less than awesome experience at the school he went to. I forget what it's called. Um, Brown. Brown? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> uh, at the very start of the episode, Phyllis offers Stanley a fez because fezes are cool. Um, but <laughs> sorry, Doctor Who. Uh, but he says gotcha. he will not be in. He will not be the big guy in the funny hat. And then the camera pans over to Kevin, who is the other big guy in the office. <laughs> Wearing a fez. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Michael, again, in the intervention, is trying to get through to Meredith, talking about how her alcoholism has affected everyone here. And he says, there's only so much I can do for you. What's going to happen when you come into work and you're dead? (laughs) Dwight says, I stab her in the brain with a wooden stick. And then it cuts away to Dwight's talking head. There are several ways to kill a zombie, but the most satisfying one is to stab it in the brain with a wooden stick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Dwight has a few talking heads that are really, really funny right in a row. They're good, yeah. There's a couple small ones to mention. There's Kevin who has this tiny little drum and he's sitting on Oscar's desk while Oscar's trying to work. And he's like slamming away obnoxiously at this drum and Oscar just reaches up without looking and sort of puts his hand over the head of the drum. (laughs) Stop, stop. (laughs) And then the other one is where, uh, I already alluded to this earlier, but Jen, or Andy is playing on the sitar and Jim walks in and says, do you take requests? And he says, sure. Jim says, please stop because we're having a Christmas party. (laughs) (laughs) Last one for me. It's not funny so much as just an observation, but we see Creed quietly smoking hookah in the office by himself. So I don't think that was necessarily part of the decorations. I think that's just something Creed brought with the excuse of (laughs) being a Moroccan themed party. He looks like a pro. I mean, he (laughs) was just totally separated from the party. Vibing out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What about deleted scenes? Um, Deleted scenes, yeah. In the name of being Phyllis's gopher girl, Angela struggles with a tree twice her size. It's enormous. And Phyllis says, an ant can carry five times its own weight. All it needs is a strong queen to tell it what to do. And there's nothing that that small creature can't accomplish. So it's just more of Phyllis's um, kind of mob boss mentality in this episode yeah um michael displays three characters in a talking head a nerd character a surfer character and then a french character and the only thing that makes him french is he replaces the word the with the he says i love the stage (laughs) and that's it (laughs) i think my favorite one out of the bunch was uh kelly has a talking head where she laments that Meredith lights her hair on fire one time and gets all this attention. Maybe I'll light my hair on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For the attention. She just blatantly 
admits that she wants attention. Yeah, she says, nobody cared when Ryan broke up with me or when <laughs> I stayed up all night to get tickets for a JT Justin Timberlake concert and then got sick. Nobody cared. <laughs> I think but this is on a, a little bit of a fire. different level. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one I loved just because it validated a theory that I've talked about before. Uh, Michael said he would love to open his own bar with a pool table, a couple of dartboards, and an open mic night. A real one where anybody could use it. And they let you finish your GD routine, which just plays into my, if there's a microphone, Michael will pick it up theory. Because apparently he's gone to open mic nights and tried to do some sort of comedy routine, which we, we know Michael's really not good at that kind of thing. Uh, it's just funny that. I, I was sort of cheering to myself because it sort of validated that theory that I've expressed on the show before. There's a talking head with Angela where she discusses alcoholism uh, in terms of sex in the city. And she says it's not, you know, nearly as romantic as it's led on to be basically how in sex in the city, Carrie would be um, in rehab and Samantha would have AIDS or at least herpes. <laughs> You'd think she watches the show, though, if she knows the characters' names, right? Right. I don't – I mean, yeah, I know I mean, Carrie. That's all I know from that show. I've never – Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. I uh, – <laughs> We've seen her be a bit of a hypocrite, hypocrite, so it wouldn't surprise me. A couple of times, yeah. Uh, Creed has a reaction to Meredith's hair catching fire. So she went up quick. So she's definitely a witch. Or she's definitely <laughs> not a witch. I used to know this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Last one for me, I think, is Michael um, just doing horrible bar tricks. Um, nothing I really want to say about that except that he is behind the bar and just flipping bottles poorly and really trying to make a show. And it's um, Stanley ordering and he says, all I want is a red wine. How long is this going to take? And Michael's just flipping like bo vodka bottles and trying to roll them and stuff. Yeah. And Stanley's <laughs> just like, I can't get a damn red wine. <laughs> A couple of small ones. Uh, the very last one, actually, is Oscar having a talking head about how he learned a few things today. Bisaha is Moroccan for enjoy and relax. Meredith has a problem with alcohol. Who knew? And <laughs> the sprinklers don't work when uh, she sets her, her her hair catches fire. Uh, the sprinklers don't go off. So he says that's good to know. Right. And that, again, sort of alludes to a future episode coming up. Uh, then there's... Michael, who says, Meredith is to alcohol what I am to chocolate. I'm a total chocoholic. Maybe they should have an, inter an intervention for me. I don't know why we're struggling on that word so much tonight. Uh, <laughs> Honestly. Maybe they should have an intervention for me. But alcohol is very serious, though, and chocolate just tastes good. <laughs> so he gets serious <laughs> after he realizes, yeah, this, maybe we shouldn't talk about this. Uh, but the last one I want to mention is just going to take a minute to explain, but I think it's funny. Um, Michael, during the intervention, asks everyone to name a celebrity who died of an overdose. So Creed says Janis Joplin, who was singer. Uh, Jim Morrison is named by Kevin Marilyn Monroe by Phyllis. Then Andy says Ernie Hudson, who is the black Ghostbuster. And he's not dead. Still not dead. <laughs> uh, and Stanley points that out to him. He says, he's not dead. And Andy says, oh, yeah, I was playing a different game in my head. You know, the one where you... You come up with the person's name who starts with the last letter of the person named before you. So Stanley says, well, you should have just named Elvis because he starts with an E and died of an overdose. And then Dwight <laughs> says, oh, there's theories about him actually not being dead. I'm just saying. And then Oscar names Elise Regina or Regina, uh, who is a Brazilian singer. And Kevin goes, 
gay. <laughs> and Oscar just stares at him. It's a long deleted scene, but I'm almost done. Then Michael <laughs> says, if Meredith doesn't get some help, if you don't get some help, Meredith, you'll have to add Meredith and your last name, because he forgets her last name, to the list. And he says, well, she'd have to get famous first to be included on this list. Michael just says, stop talking. <laughs> so it, it's a long deleted scene, but it, it's, it's, I thought it was really funny. Because Michael has to relate everything to pop culture. Right. Which also, it should be mentioned, I didn't mention this in the discussion of the main episode, but um, there's a similar bit where he talks about, oh, there's somebody and Bob Hope. Um, John Belushi. Like, John Belushi and Bob Hope. And um, I have to admit, I don't know John Belushi's story, but he was saying, like, it wasn't time, basically, for those two to die. Bob Hope died old. He was 100, and he died in 2003. He had a long life. So (laughs) um, I have to admit, I don't know John Belushi's uh, death story, but He died of uh, uh, cocaine and some other drug, I think it's called a speedball. Uh, it wasn't alcohol related, but okay. it, it was an overdose. So in theme, yeah. Okay, at least that one was closer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but Bob Hope, yeah, it wasn't even remotely related. <laughs> then we have the commentary, and it featured Angela Kinsey, who's Angela Martin, Kate Flannery, Meredith Palmer, and Brian Baumgartner, who is Kevin. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't the greatest commentary. They were mostly just laughing at some of their own jokes and how they looked in their costumes or whatever. But we yeah. did get a few tidbits. It was entertaining. Yeah, we got a few yeah. tidbits. So how about you start us off? Uh, I hadn't noticed this, um, maybe because I've seen the series several times and just knew that I knew this costume piece. But um, apparently in every single Christmas episode, Michael wears the same tie. Yeah. Which... I, I knew I knew it, but I didn't realize that it was every Christmas episode. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, I don't know if I realize that either. Uh, and by the way, this is the first Christmas episode we've got on the show since I think Benny Honey Christmas. So it's been two seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just about. Not every season has one. Yeah. But uh, they're almost all excellent. Mm-hmm. Kate Flannery did not catch her hair on fire. That was a stunt double. But the stunt double really did catch her hair, or at least a wig of some sort, on fire. And Rain Wilson really did put out the fire on the stunt person, which is really cool. And then uh, Kate Flannery also said that it was a real hair wig that they actually burned that she had to wear in the episode. And so it stunk the whole time they were filming. So mm-hmm. she was wearing around this real hair burnt wig uh, while filming. We learned that Brian Bopgartner went to SMU yeah, in Dallas, I, which is super close to you. Yeah, like 10, 20 minutes away. That's crazy. I had no idea he went to school in Texas, so that's really neat. Uh, Angela didn't like the cookies. I don't remember exactly what kind of cookies they were, but they were on theme uh, for Morocco. So she she started gagging at a certain point because she had to keep eating them for the take. <laughs> and so she eventually had to substitute in like peanuts and other stuff to so, yeah. so she wasn't gagging while repeating filming this scene. Uh, lots about Kate, of course, in this episode because it's you know, sort of merit of this episode, um, Michael, the scene where he's dragging Meredith into rehab, uh, most of that really physical scene was improv. Mm-hmm. And there were stunt doubles available, but Kate was really determined not to have to use them because she really wanted to be the one to do it. And um, yeah, so th- they ended up using both Steve Carell and Kate Flannery, which was neat. I love that scene, by the way, the whole, wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. Wait a and minute. then she pauses <laughs> and then she sprints out the other direction. <laughs> I think that's so funny. And that was all improv. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
last thing for me, she kept slipping uh, the scene in the car where she's naming all the different bars that are in Scranton. She kept trying to slip in Flannery's because her family apparently owns a bar that is in Philadelphia uh, that goes by that name. But the production team eventually decided to axe it because people know Kate Flannery and it'd be just a little bit too on the nose for the character. Yeah, I had that as well. But hey, if anyone's passing through uh, through Philly, yeah. go and give us a, <laughs> give us the scoop. So your discussion topic for this episode, Chad. Yes, I just had a question. And I think you have a similar question when it comes to the next episode. But what is it that makes Michael so passionate about helping Meredith? Like, what is it that just sets him on a track and there's no turning back? This is what I have to do in order to do my job correctly tonight. Whether that's right or wrong, it's what he thinks is right. Um, I think it's just his, this is my family and this is all I've got track which we've seen i don't think he other than the physical danger of having someone on fire was necessarily that worried for her in that moment but i think he realized kind of a trend and that everyone kind of knows that meredith drinks and so it's i think he just takes it very personally because even the people that it was oh gosh what's the episode name where he hits meredith with his car um and no um, uh, fun run fun run yeah um he even says it's just meredith <laughs> so it's she's not you know his a team in the office but he sees her still i think as a member of the family and he just wants to protect her i agree with that and we get some more insight into michael in a couple more episodes, again, I, I hate to keep vaguely alluding towards future episodes, <laughs> but we, we get a little bit more insight into this sort of scenario with him, why he feels such an important need to attend to the needs of his employees. Because like you said, he does think of them as family and his friends. So yeah, I agree. Cool. On to our next episode of discussion, The Duel. Um, a really nice pair for Moroccan Christmas. They go together very nicely. Um, it aired on January 15th, 2009, was directed by Dean Holland and written by Jennifer Salata. Everyone knows that Angela is having an affair with Dwight, except Andy. Michael has been summoned to New York by Dunder Mifflin CFO David Wallace, but before he goes, he feels the need to finally break the news to Andy, who now has to deal with the reality of his future wife sleeping with his co-worker. A really awkward episode. Um... And I feel like not a lot happens except for this one thing, mm -hmm. but it's a big thing, so it's okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then the the whole thing with Michael, uh, if we can, I'd like to start with that just because I think it's really funny. Um, Michael thinks he's getting in trouble going to New York. He, yeah. he doesn't know what it is. David Wallace has called him to dis called him in to discuss big picture things, and he doesn't know what that means, but he thinks it's bad. <laughs> and so he goes to New York uh, eventually. And then he sits there and David says, look, your branch is doing really well. It's beating last year's numbers, et cetera. And Michael is clearly waiting for the but. Like, this is all good, but, and you're in trouble. And so you see him actually like steal himself, embrace himself for bad news. And then David asks, what are you doing right? And you see Michael's face completely change. He's like, wait, what? That's so cool. What? I did something right? <laughs> it's just a, a funny sort of change in things. And I was wondering, do we think the success of the Scranton branch 
can be attributed to something Michael is or is not doing? <laughs> like, is it really thanks to Michael Scranton's doing so well? It's a really good question, and I have to say probably <laughs> not. Um, I want to say it like luck isn't the right word, but I think it's just the team that's assembled. They have good salesmen. I mean, they really do. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly between Jim and Dwight, they have really solid people. And that might kind of be it. Yeah. <laughs> like Michael, if anything, puts a hindrance on their sales, I I think. If anything, I think it's that he lets them do their job. Yeah, he distracts them sometimes, but he's not doing a whole lot of micromanaging like some managers might be more uh, inclined right. to do. And so since they have their sort of free reign to do their jobs, yes, with the occasional distraction, but since they have that free reign, they're able to do it more effectively. That's the best I can think mm-hmm. of. But yeah. again, that's more something Michael's not doing than something he is. Exactly. Yeah. So what are you doing right? I'm not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in any case, Michael has to go on this sort of self-exploration. Like, what am I doing right? He has to come up with an answer. At least that's what David's asking for. And he doesn't know. So he focuses on the more personal, friendly moments than the business practices or tactics. And this really falls under a funny moment. But uh, he says, so I was in the office and I look over to our accounting division and there is Kevin Malone. Kevin is wearing a jacket that I've never seen before. And I call over to Kevin. Kevin, is that a tweed jacket? And he looks at me and he says, Michael, yes, it is a tweed jacket. This storytelling is so ridiculous, by the way. (laughs) He says, and I look back at him and I say, I feel the need, the need for tweed. (laughs) He's like, it's the obvious conclusion to that statement. I feel the need. need I don't know what he's trying to extrapolate from this story. Uh, David doesn't either. He says, it's hard to try to evaluate yourself, Michael, but I appreciate you trying. Uh, So you see in... In David's face as he's listening to this story that he hopes, he just hopes that there's relevance to this story. Like, I know there's probably not going to be, but I'm going to wait till the end and find out. (laughs) And sure enough, there wasn't. And you just see him like, hang his head. (laughs) It's like, okay, thank you for trying. (laughs) Yeah. And then that, that's the the fun stuff of the episode. And so we go back to the Scranton branch and... From the very start, Andy walks in and he says, hey, can I have the floor? I want to address you all and talk to you all about something that's insanely awkward, sort of the elephant in the room. And we're thinking, oh, crap, he knows. He found out. And he says, no one in this room has RSVP'd and the deadline was yesterday. <laughs> and we think, nobody would. nobody's going to RSVP to this fake wedding, <laughs> Andy. Yeah. Think something's going to happen. And maybe if it hasn't happened yet. Uh, it will. So yeah, we're not going to say we're going to be at this event. That's not going to happen. Or at least they hope it's not going to happen. I have to say, this is a little premature, but I just want to start this discussion with saying that I'm very proud of Andy in this episode. He shows a lot of maturity Mm -hmm. um, and normalcy and he's very sober in this episode which is kind of a funny choice of words given our last episode but um <laughs> he's very collected and he he really i mean yeah he gets angry he should get angry yeah. but it's not 
Well, I'm not going to say it's in an unprofessional or not in an unprofessional way because he has a duel over a woman in the parking lot. I get that. But which is the, you know, office craziness. But all things considered, he's come a long way. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I was going to say the same thing more or less because (laughs) we saw him punch a hole in the wall back in The Return. So... This is a big change for him because this was a much more serious situation than that was. And he holds his own, uh, he holds himself together a lot better. So Michael, and this is pre him going to New York, obviously, feels this incredible need to tell Andy what is happening because Andy still doesn't know. And he just, everybody tells Michael no, Angela should be the one to tell him. This should come from Angela. Well, Angela still hasn't told him. And it's been how many days does Jim say? 15, 16? 16, I think. 16. I know it's somewhere in that window. Um, and he just wants Andy to know the truth. This is one of the few Michael things that I think you can really point to and say that it's non-selfish, you know, because there isn't really... 17. 17. Thank you. Because it's not really something that is going to benefit him in any way, except it might it might in some ways diffuse tension. It might diffuse awkwardness at least, but he just wants Andy to know. He just wants him to tell the truth and he finds it his duty to do so. So they go down, uh, Michael's heading to his car and he says, Andy, walk with me. And he, when he's actually walking to the car, it sounds like he is, he he sounds like a high school student trying to reach a page count requirement on a school essay. He says, I I do not have much time cars all the way over there to uh, tell you what I have to tell you. Just bear in mind when I say these things that are uh, bad things that you hear in your ears. (laughs) This is something that if I were you, that I wouldn't want to hear. (laughs) It's just the most absurd thing. It just sounds like he's trying to stretch this out as much as he can because the moment has come for him to share this information and he just can't find himself with the strength to do it. Since we all but answered it, I want to go ahead and actually ask you my discussion topic in the middle of this. Uh Um, Why does Michael just elaborate on it a bit more? Why do you think Michael wants to be the one to tell Andy about Dwight and Angela, save the idea that she needs to tell him? (sighs) I think it's the same sort of thing. I think and I think Michael yeah. just has a heart of gold. He he knows that it's wrong. Uh what Dwight is doing, what Angela's doing, this is wrong. And Andy deserves to know the truth because it's been so long and he still doesn't know it. If 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 Michael's not going to tell them who is, is sort of what it amounts to. And mm-hmm. so uh, that's that's my best answer. What do you think? Yeah. That and also very close to your last discussion topic, um, it's family mm-hmm. and it's bad news. And also a third reason, I think he just can't handle the awkwardness anymore. Mm-hmm. He just needs it to be out in the open and he's not good at keeping secrets and he just needs to <laughs> get that out of the way. <laughs> I, I do love that scene uh, when Andy's making his announcement about nobody RSVPing when Michael says, wait, you still don't know. And Jim interrupts and says, no, no, no. <laughs> And Michael keeps trying to interject with this information and Jim just keeps cutting him off and slowly backing him into his office. And once he's in the office, he's still trying to communicate through the glass and Jim just keeps closing the shutters, like the blinds. Nope, you don't need to see Andy. You don't need to talk to him right now. Let him be. (laughs) Michael does not take hints well. No. But then Michael does tell him. He's sitting in the car and first he tries to tell him through the glass with the window up. 
And he says, I can't hear you. So he rolls down the window and says, yeah, Angela and Dwight are having an affair. They've been sleeping together for some time. That was news I wanted you to know. Goodbye. And he pulls out. That's it. And as you were saying, we've got to be proud of Andy because he takes the time to cool off a bit outside before Mm -hmm. confronting anyone. It shows his progress with his anger management. But he's so clearly devastated by this news. And I really do feel for him. And he addresses her first, um, which is the right thing to do. He says, hey, can we talk? And he's very, I mean, he's angry, but he's calm. Mm-hmm. He says, I mean, we need to talk. And she says, well, we can talk right here. And he goes, no, I, it should be in private. Um, and he gets her in private and he says, have you been sleeping with Dwight? And she beats around the bush. She says, that, that doesn't sound like me. We just signed off on wedding flowers. Would I do that if I was sleeping with Dwight? And he goes, look, just answer me. Are you sleeping with Dwight? And she says, a little bit. Uh, well, no, you're either <laughs> you're either doing it or you're not. And um, he, it, it almost seems like he, I mean, he's clearly not okay with it, but he like wants to just make sure that she won't do it again. Like he still wants to marry her. Yeah, that's the thing. He he's not trying to cut off this relationship. He's saying. It sucks that you've done this, but hey, as long as you end things now, I'm still going to go through this with, through with this wedding because I do think we have a future together. And she's trying to convince him to keep it going too. She says, let's try and prove everybody wrong, everybody what they're saying wrong, that we're not good together. He says, who says that? He says, well, let's prove them wrong. It doesn't matter. I, I hate her hemming and hawing about the question. She treats it like it's the most inconsequential thing in the world. It, it's disgusting. I hate it so much. Um, but Angela's not only playing Andy in this scenario, there's a scene before the, the information is let out where Dwight calls Angela for a meeting. He says, you've got to tell Andy. And she, he says, do you love me or not? And she says, I've already admitted that I do. Why do you keep making me repeat (laughs) it? What's wrong with just saying, I love you again, if you mean it, like if it's a real thing, then what's the problem with saying it again? And she won't say it to Dwight. She won't say it to Andy. She's refusing to choose between these two men. It's just the she is the worst person in the show right now. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to like her. It's it's hard for me to just blanket say that because we still have four more episodes or four more seasons, four and a half more seasons of of this show. But yeah, right now it's tough. Yeah, and that's all I mean is like right now. I don't mean over the context of the whole show. Yeah. Oh no, I right know. now she. She's I don't like her not at all. In a good place. You were saying she isn't being straight with either of them, and she's not. She, it, it comes out in the duel um, that she's been telling Dwight that she's not sleeping with Andy. And last time we checked into that, they weren't sleeping together either. But apparently, she has been sleeping with Andy um, twice, but still tw- twice, but still, um, she lied to Dwight. Which, if you're going to sleep with someone, it better be your fiance, you know. But the fact that she lied to Dwight when she didn't need to, you know, it's just weird. Um, and he feels very disappointed and, and rejected by that as well. And, um, but the duel itself is, is odd enough. And she says that she will respect the results of the duel before the duel even starts. She has basically pledged her allegiance to both men. She tells Andy, yeah, I want to make it keep working. Like let's, prove everyone wrong. I want to be with you. And then she 
says that she will honor the results of the duel. So is it Dwight or is it Andy? If you want to be with Andy, be with Andy. But if Dwight wins, you'll be with him. Like, it's just, she's flip-flopping. It's not cute. No. (laughs) Just (laughs) pick. We get more of that in the deleted scenes, too, so we'll talk about it. But uh, the whole showdown between Andy and Dwight basically amounts to them yelling at each other, which we've seen them do in the past, these yelling matches uh, where they're both, like, hurling nonsense insults. Uh, and then realizing that both men, they realize that both of them have been betrayed by Angela. She's been sleeping with Dwight. She told Dwight she wasn't sleeping with Andy, and neither of those things is true. Uh, or Anyway, she was lying to both men. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. then they both walk into the office without addressing Angela. First, Andy, and he sits down at his desk, and then Dwight walks in, sits down at his desk, and we hear Andy get on the phone, he cancels his wedding cake. Not a word to Angela, but the wedding cake is canceled. So we're... We're on the same page with Andy as far as that goes. And then Dwight sits down and Angela looks hopefully at him. Oh, maybe Dwight won. Maybe things are going to be okay with just us now. And he tosses his Dwight bobblehead. That was a gift from her back in Benihana Christmas. And it's over. She screwed up and she lost them both. I have this weird feeling that it's sort of a coming together for Dwight and Andy in this moment. Not like they'll be best friends after this, but... They have something unfortunate in common, mm-hmm. and that brings people together. Um, they kind of have solidarity over this awful woman. That that Dwight was so affected by her lying um, that even he, who's been pursuing her for, you know, for so long, would just end it like that shows how severe a lie means to him. Yeah. Uh, especially that intimate uh, a lie. Um Yeah. <laughs> on that happy note let's go into funny moments <laughs> starting off <Please. laughs> with the cold open uh apparently angela made several 911 calls 911 calls about cars <laughs> driving too fast in front of the building so the cops put up a radar sign uh, which has caused more of a safety hazard because now everybody in the office is running down the street at this sign racing each other for the fastest speed Michael's first, he gets to 12, then Dwight goes, he gets to 13. Michael says, no, 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 I want it. I want another shot. My, uh, Dwight had the wind behind him, and it's supposed to be Oscar's turn, but Michael jumps in front, runs, and a car comes behind and makes the, the radar read 31 miles an hour. And Michael says, I was ahead of the car. That's my time. Beat it. <laughs> uh, Beat it! <laughs> One of my favorite Dwight moments, actually, almost from the whole series. I don't know why I love this so much, but... Learn your rules. You'd better learn your rules. If you don't, you'll be eaten in your sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just love it so much. Um, It's so great. Every time I learn a bit more about Dwight's childhood, um, (laughs) I am amazed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, being a teacher, I have Snapchatted like that scene before in relation to (laughs) how I wish my students behaved. Like, learn your rules or you're going to be eaten in your sleep, kids. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and of course you can't tell them that because they're young and they will get the reference yeah unfortunately <laughs> i feel like this episode has a lot of great uh quotable lines especially for like michael and the the yeah david wallace meeting he says my philosophy is basically this and this is something that i live by and i always have and i always will don't ever for any reason do anything to anyone for any reason ever no matter what no matter where or who or who you're with or where you're going or or where you've been 
ever for any reason whatsoever. <laughs> and it cuts to a separate talking head where he says, sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. Like an improv conversation and improvisation. How many scripted conversations do you have, Michael? <laughs> you know? Not... Most are improv. Daily life is improv. Yeah, which is sort of a joke in itself because this is a TV show we're talking about. But right. still, yeah. in most conversations, it is not scripted and is indeed improv Um, It's funny that you put the, do you love me or not? I've already admitted that I do. Why do you keep making me repeat it? As a serious part, because it is, but I also put it as a funny moment because it's just so ridiculous. Um, yeah. Generally, when people are in love, it's okay to say it. Yeah. And um, I've already admitted that I do. Like, it's some crime or something. It's just, I mean, it is, I mean, it, it sort of is well, a crime. It's like, <laughs> it's like a confession at, at a yeah. prison. Like, you've already got my recorded confession. Why do you need me to say it again? Exactly, yeah. It just makes me laugh for some sick reason. I don't know. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's just so sad. Another Michael with David Wallace moment, uh, when they're about to say goodbye, he says, I have to say, I am so impressed with the potential you see in me. <laughs> like, if that's not uh, a self-bloated view of yourself, I don't know what it is. Also with Michael, he does not want to leave David Wallace's office um, <laughs> at all. It's said in the commentary that Steve Carell's note was um, basically, just don't leave. Yeah, uh, He's going to try to get you to leave. Don't. <laughs> and so I think that they shake hands or something. David Wallace goes to open the door uh, and they had ordered in pasta because Michael wanted to because he has David Wallace's ear. He's going to use it. And um, while the door is open, he sits down and eats his pasta and David kind of motions to him like here's the door and <laughs> michael keeps on eating and he goes yeah finish up <laughs> why not <laughs> and then uh to close that off michael off he says just to sh just goes to show you leave scranton exciting things can happen and this is at the close the tail end of an episode where a fight has literally broken into the office right, right. Yeah. in scranton yeah in scranton <laughs> also a bit about michael um as he's telling Andy, as he's driving off, it just makes me laugh how extremely casual he tells him. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, um, Angela and Dwight have been sleeping together. Just thought you should know. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and he just, um, again, this episode is full of sad, funny moments. Um, it's such a painful episode, but so much of it is really funny, too. One of my favorite Oscar moments ever is in the break room where... Michael sort of confronts Dwight and says, you know, you've got to tell, you've got to tell Andy, we've got to tell Andy, why hasn't Andy figured this out yet? But Oscar says, uh, is asking Dwight where in the office he and Angela have had intercourse. And he keeps asking and asks again. And Dwight just sort of stares at him and sort of like gives his knowing look. And eventually Oscar's voice sort of breaks. He says, where Dwight? Where? <laughs> and Dwight says, I, I, it seems, you know, where and jo oscar just has like the shocked look on his face and he puts a hand over his mouth it's so funny it's such a, a small <laughs> moment but it makes me laugh every single time when he realizes in shock that they have had sex in the accounting department this is a little moment that again i keep saying this but i didn't notice really until i watched for the podcast because it's 
I'm watching more intently, but Andy and Dwight in the middle of fighting um, and deciding to duel when they're upstairs, they are kind of deciding on what to do and deciding on a time and place. And Jim says, well, you can't do it here. Um, and I think it's Dwight that says, "Like, well, yes, it will be in the parking lot. And they both agreed that that's what's going to happen. And then they high five yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of like deciding to duel over a woman. They agree. And they just like have this friendship moment in the middle of it. It's just so small and great. By the way, how absurd is that, that they decide to, dis- to, to, to claim this woman, they're going to duel over it. That is such a literally medieval idea yeah. and concept. Like, and that she's okay with it. <laughs> yeah, I will respect the outcome of the duel. Like, Ugh. she can't just make her own decision, um, but evidently she cannot because she has not. <laughs> um, Oscar also, uh, at, the, at the start of the duel, Andy hasn't shown up for 10, 15 minutes. Uh, Dwight finds the note that Andy left on the hedges, and Dwight is standing in the parking space read it, reading it, and Andy turns a corner in his Prius. And Phyllis asks, staring down from the office above, uh, she asks, why, why isn't Dwight turning around? And Oscar points out, the Prius is silent if he keeps it under five miles per hour. He deserves the win. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That Andy has come up with his own way. He says in his note that Dwight's reading, uh, I've realized that the soft underbelly of my fight with you is my soft underbelly or something to that effect. Um, or the soft underbelly of my upbringing is my soft underbelly. Uh, it's just a, a funny moment that Andy has come up with his own way, and he knows that if his car is under a certain speed, Dwight's not going to hear him approaching. Speaking of that letter, I also love just how Andy it is. He addresses <laughs> it so, hello, Dwight, how are you? I am well. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> it's just all very cordial and very proper, as it should be, from the desk of Andrew Bernard. It's just mm-hmm. such a nice, polite letter, um, which is just perfect for, for Andy. Kevin says... He he's antagonizing Angela. He says, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was doing something wrong. If I had, I would have admitted it and stopped right away. Uh, apparently he filled out a form wrong and Angela tries to scorn him about it, but he turns it back on her. She puts her in her headphones and he, he continues on from there, but it doesn't really apply to the situation with Andy and Angela and Dwight. So Oscar points that out and he says, how about this? I'm sorry. I did such a horrorish job filling out this form. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar's like, nice, much better. Much better, yeah, that fits. <laughs> Meredith has a talking head where she discusses that um, two men have fought over her before. She knows what this is like. Although for her, it's usually over which one gets to hold the camcorder. So it's in a threesome situation, I guess. And no one wants to be the one to have sex with her. They just want to be the one to film it. Yeah, I guess sex with Meredith isn't like the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, okay, we have to do this. I don't want to be the one to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, a little rough. One of my, again, one of my favorite Creed moments is uh, when Andy says, I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank all of you for lying to my face and not telling me what's been going on this entire time. And Creed just reaches out his arms and says, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> like, read the room, Creed. <laughs> and I think last one for me, might just be the miscellany of Dwight's weapons. He just has extremely, uh, or rather an extremely varied collection of weapons, most 
of them seem to be medieval-looking things, which is very applicable since they're doing a duel. Um, <laughs> really just awful-looking torture devices. We also see a um, crossbow. And then the rest of them I can't even begin to try to name because they are also uh, extreme. But yeah. <laughs> many, many, many weapons in this episode. Uh, last one for me. Uh, at the start of the duel, Oscar says, it's 410. I don't think he's going to show. And Kevin turns to him and says, oh, come on, man. Believe in something. <laughs> it's just a, an absurd little moment that I think is really funny. What about deleted scenes? It's revealed that Dwight and Angela are going on a weekend away together. Ugh. They're going to some like Quaker house or something. Um, and Dwight is really upset by Angela's not admitting to Andy. Um, and so she kind of talks him down with this trip. She kind of reminds him that they're going on it and she makes him talk about the architecture of the building or whatever and kind of brings him back down to, work, to earth. Um, but yeah, they are going on a weekend away. That's the worst. It's the <sighs> worst. In, in the middle of all this. Yeah, in the middle of all this, <laughs> a wedding upcoming. Yeah. She's still planning a weekend away with Dwight and she's planning on having Andy watch her cats while she's away. Like, it's just yeah. the worst. Oh. Um, there's another deleted scene. Everyone's dodging Andy's RSVP question. He's going around desk to desk and asking everybody. Phyllis says something like, it's not a good time right now. Uh, Stanley says, leave me alone. As Andy's approaching Jim and Dwight, they both answer phone calls that don't <laughs> exist. And then when Pam walks up behind Andy, Jim sort of tries to motion for her to go away. But eventually Andy catches her too. And she says, how about we say yes for now? <laughs> and all this while she's not looking him in the eye she says it's hard to look at andy in the eye these days so i'm just going to focus today on his nose and so she's staring <laughs> right at his nose and he keeps trying to lower himself into her gaze but her, her gaze keeps dropping with his nose so it's pretty funny before the bit in the episode where michael tells andy in his car on their walk down to michael's car there's a deleted scene where michael gives andy a bottle of canadian whiskey this is from the episode Business Trip where he went to Canada and makes Andy drink it. Um, he says as a toast to his meeting with David Wallace, but really it's just to soften the blow of the news. Yeah, as if he's going to get an immediate buzz from this alcohol in the next right. <laughs> minute walk to his car. But He said, are you feeling buzzed? And he's like, nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> a small thing. Andy tells Jim not to forget to order his tux. Is Jim supposed to be a groomsman? Because I, I can't imagine so, Andy being yeah. concerned about his tux. Otherwise, normally wedding guests just show up. So And often don't wear tuxes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was a small thing. Mm. Uh, but then later, yeah. there's another deleted scene where Angela addresses the documentary crew. And she scorns them all for just wanting a story and editing it so that there's a villain. She says, guess what? There's not always a villain. Sometimes it's just a hardworking, petite woman. Because she can't leave the petite part out. Um <laughs> trying to make a conscientious decision about the rest of her life. I don't know how conscientious she's being about any of this, but whatever. And then she says, is this what you want? And she like lowers the side of her shirt and reveals oh, her collarbone oh, and her shoulder. Oh, how scandalous. <laughs> she like covers herself back up, just <laughs> huffy and like, oh, I feel so dirty. Yeah, it reminds me of that uh, deleted scene or blooper or whatever it is from Dinner Party where Dwight looks down at her feet and says, I noticed you're wearing open-toed <laughs> shoes. Since when did you become a whore? <laughs> <laughs> Dwight and Andy discuss and debate what weapons they'll use for their duel, but all very calmly. They're basically just having a normal conversation. 
Andy picks a gun used for hunting pheasants. Dwight, of course, picks a gun used for killing elephants. Stanley asks both men if they understand that the prize for their duel is <clears throat> Angela. He says, Andy, do you understand that you would win Angela? Yes, I understand. Dwight, do you understand that you would win Angela? Of course. And then when they say that they do, it says, give them both guns. Darwin, baby. Darwin. <laughs> uh, yeah. Why not? Uh, do I, I agree with Stanley. I don't see Angela as much of a prize up to this point. Uh, there's a really sweet moment where Pam tries to talk Angela into stopping the fight. She goes into the break room with her and says, think about who you want to go to bed with and who you want to wake up next to and who you want to have kids with. And really sweet. It's, it's really sweet. Lovey dovey, like marriage kind of stuff. And Angela says, I don't see how any of that matters because when they fight, I'll respect one of them and I'll pity the other. Okay. She's already made up her mind. She's just glorifying the thought of somebody fighting over her. Yeah, she really, really loves it. We even like see her watching down on the duel from Michael's office, and she's just clearly very excited about the whole thing. So it's sick, really. <laughs> yeah. And that, in a way, reminds me of in, is it Gay Witch Hunt? Where Roy, no, I'm trying to remember where Roy attacks Jim. And then mm -hmm. she relishes the whole episode, people telling the story of how Dwight saved Jim. Yeah. It's that same sort of thing yeah. where she's like, I just want to hear that these men are being heroic. And yeah. I, I don't see this as heroic or anything like that. But It's, again, her attraction to power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that was all the deleted scenes for me. Do you have any others? Uh, just one more small one. Well, first, there's the fact that Dwight, uh, his weapon during the duel, it's hard to tell during the scene what it is, but it's a bike chain. Um, he says, if Jim didn't want me to have a weapon, then he wouldn't have left the bikes. And so he took off a bike chain. <laughs> uh, and then Angela asks Pan for a ride home after the duel because she realizes she doesn't have one anymore because Dwight's not going to give her a ride home and Andy's certainly not going to give her a ride home. And then she bosses Jim around with bad directions the whole ride home. And uh, that's it. Yeah. We also got a commentary for this episode um, featuring Dean Holland, who is an editor, but he was also one of the directors for this commentary or for, for this episode. Jen Salata, who wrote it, and Rain Wilson. It's Dean Holland's first episode to direct. I, I don't know if you mentioned that just now or not. Um, I did not. But... He he was really proud of the episode. He had a lot of fun with it, and he edited it a lot himself because he's one of the editors for the show. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, he says that the original assembly cut of the episode was 38 minutes long, and the director's cut was 25, and then the final cut being 21 to 22 minutes, which is a typical typical episode. So pretty cool. It, I don't think it's very often that the same person directs and edits an episode. Yeah, he was a busy guy that <laughs> that few yeah. weeks, I'm sure. The cold open with the radar, uh, Aaron Schur, who's a writer for the show, got that idea because when he was a writer on another show, the writers of that show actually did that. They ran uh, towards a radar to try to figure out how fast they were running. So he kind of pulled from real life in that situation. Yeah. And to be clear, it's Schur, S-H-U-R-E, not S-C-H-U-R, like Michael Schur. Uh, but Aaron Schur was a writer and story editor on Everybody Loves Raymond. So that might have been the show. Yeah. That was, he was with that show from 98 to 05. So. 
Dwight does get the soup spoon. Remember, there's the scene in the episode where he takes a spoon out of uh, Jim's cup mug on his desk and tries to tape it to his monitor and says, I need a soup spoon for this because the soup spoon is bigger. Well, in the episode, he actually does get the soup spoon too, but it happens before that scene uh, just because of the way the editing happens. It's the scene where Oscar asked where Dwight and Angela had sex um, in that the, the scene with the taping the spoon onto the monitor isn't for another scene or two a minute or two later. So it, it it's not something you would notice as an error. There's just this random scene where Dwight is holding a spoon in the break room, and that's the connection. Hmm. The joke that Meredith makes, or it's not even really a joke, just the fact that Meredith tells Jim that there is a star-shaped thing in the kitchen, um, which is what we get in the episode. It was originally supposed to be under Michael's desk, but they realized what that might insinuate and left it out because that's a whole other bag of worms that they really didn't want to open um, and probably didn't even – it's not in the plot and they didn't even want it to be hypothetical, yeah. so they just took that yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even realize the implications of that until they pointed it out in the yeah. commentary. <laughs> um, there was a scene where in the, the – when Andy confronts Angela after hearing the news from Michael – uh, Phyllis was supposed to fart and then it was just going to be like a, a stupid thing interrupting a serious moment is what the joke was going to be but they ended up cutting it uh, and then I thought it would be funny to mention that Fiji is Jen Salata's favorite water brand <laughs> I almost they, put that down they too. joked about that on the, <laughs> on the commentary as well they didn't mean to do product placement but they kind of did <laughs> in um, David Wallace's office the dual scene, it took about six hours to film, but it's outdoors in the sun. So they had to create a huge 20 by 20 bounce card to put above the hedges so that the shadows stayed the same all day long. Uh, because I thought that, that was so, so cool. Yeah. I mean, the like light manipulation, um, because otherwise that would have taken days to film because they would have had to do it at the same time every day. And um, yeah, just creating that consistency is really neat. Mm -hmm. It was uh, Rusty Mahmood, who's an assistant director for the show. Uh, he, he, that was his job. Those are the kinds of things that an assistant director does, he pointed out. Yeah. Um, the Prius was Paul Lieberstein's idea. Um, the idea of Andy driving up behind Dwight. I thought that was pretty funny. And it was not special effects, and there were no uh, stunt doubles. The Prius yeah. did very lightly hit Rain Wilson, um, <laughs> not super painfully, but they, uh, I'm sure they were very, very careful, but it, that's all real. Mm, I think they said they filmed it with stunt doubles too, but they ended up only using the stuff that Rain Wilson himself was in anyways. Right. Um, the chain that I mentioned, the, the bike chain was made of rubber. So they had to replace the sound of him hitting the car with a more metallic one. The Foley uh, so that, stuff. Yeah. 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 Any more? I guess one more, just a little one for me. They wanted to mention, just because of her behavior on the show, that Angela Kinsey is just the sweetest person in real life. They're like, we feel bad. We just have to mention that she's really nice. <laughs> yeah. She does that YouTube show with her husband. Uh, so if you want a, a glimpse into Angela as a real person, and not as a character, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I think that's pretty fun to watch. I've never watched it, but I've heard good things. Last one for me, Michael standing on the streets of New York at the very end of the episode was green screen. I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, mm. You could probably notice it without it being pointed out to you, uh, but just thought it was a fun little tidbit. They obviously didn't fly Steve Carell to New York just to film that one thing and then fly him back Five to seconds. California where they filmed the whole rest of it. <laughs> yeah, a, little bit, a bit excessive. And we already covered my discussion topic, so... Yeah. 
That brings us to the end of our official 44th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. If you care to rate, review, and or subscribe, we so appreciate it, and you can do so on iTunes. You can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. The best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and my other podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. And show notes and all other contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com. If you want a shout out and more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline slash notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams of every show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash workplace pod and pick the support level that you think is worth it. That is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 44 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 45 for our discussion on the next episode of season 5, Prince Family Paper. Bye!